We're in a series. Uh, it's not a new series because it really is, we want it to be part of the DNA of our church. And it's a series of understanding and uh, taking steps to be more the people that God would have us be and to do those things that God would have us do. And we've kind of simplified it into the word simple as a simple way of living. And we take that kind of, uh, take the letters from simple and remind us of the steps of what it means to become more like the person God would have us be. And the first thing is that we study, the S, the life of Christ. And again, my favorite thought about that is the hoopogrammas. And I will remind you, those are the, the dotted line letters when you were in kindergarten to learn how to write your letters. It's called a hoopogrammas. You followed those dots and you learned to write. Well, we studied the life of Christ so that we learn to live like Christ lived. And I love Mike's illustration with the optometrist and getting Christ in focus so we know how to live. And then the I is invest in the three things that will are eternal. Everything else will pass away except for God, his word, and people. And so if you're going to invest in something, you might as well invest in those things that are eternal. And then last week, we looked at ministering through our spiritual gifts and resources, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you come with preloaded software for the kingdom of God. God has put gifts in you that will make a kingdom difference in the world. And like that box of crayons, if you choose to keep it closed, you will not color the world with kingdom colors. Then there's pray and listen to the Holy Spirit and then expect great things from God. And today we're at step four. We're at this thing called prayer. And uh, it's, it's, uh, prayer is an interesting thing. We, if, if I was to ask you, is prayer important? Almost all of you say, well, yes, it's important. But how come it usually falls to those emergency situations or the bottom of our to-do list? Why does something so supposedly so easy and so available, why is it so elusive to many of us? And uh, I have to be reminded, as I'm wrestling as a you know, pastor, administrator of this congregation, um, I sit in my office a lot of times, and I have had to put this sign up. Pray about it as much as you think about it. Because I found myself wrestling with it, and it was just me wrestling with it, and I needed the reminder that I needed to pray about it as much as I wrestled with it. So before we go any further, I think we need to pray about praying. So let me do that. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and those words that uh, just bless our hearts. Thank you for your word, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would open it and change us to be more like you. And when it comes to prayer, Lord, some of us just, I'm not sure that we 
get it. So teach us. Open our eyes and our hearts to all that you would have for us. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you could ask Jesus to teach you one thing, just one thing of all the stuff that he could do, what would it be? Now, I lifeguarded for years. It would have been great. I would ask Jesus, how in the world do you walk on water? Because that would have been pretty impressive walking across the water to the guard chairs, especially for those young girls. Anyway, the um, way back then. What about um, healing the sick? There's many of our congregation are involved in the, the, the health care business. And uh, wouldn't it be great to, to have Jesus teach us how to heal the sick? Or how about calm the seas? If you like to fish, wouldn't you just like to go out and just calm the seas? That would be a nice thing. Probably what comes would be pretty high on a number of people's list is how do you take old, dirty water and turn it into fine wine? If you could do that, that would be uh, an interesting thing. Do you know the disciples had the opportunity to ask Jesus all of those questions. And according to everything we have written down, they never asked him about any of those things, how he did it. The only question that they ever really asked him to teach them, and and, and many of you know this, is, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, they didn't say, Lord, teach us a prayer. And that would have been common for the day. After all, the the Old Testament, especially the book of Psalms, is a book of prayers. And, And they would have had to, as children, memorize prayers. And so, Lord, teach us the the prayer that that allows us to pray like you pray. But that's not what they said. They looked at Jesus and they said, teach us to pray like you pray. And so um, he does. He teaches them a prayer that ironically has become the most prayed prayer in the world, in all of history, the most prayed prayer. Now, here's the question. Do you think that Jesus wanted us to regurgitate those words? Because it's interesting, twice in the Gospels, once in Matthew, once in Luke, the disciples ask him the question. One time he says, pray like this. Another place he says, pray these words. So what do you think that he meant? Now, I love my grandkids and had the opportunity this weekend or this week to, um, because of the birth of number 12 for Lori and I, number 12, little Asa came into the world. But while he was working his way into the world, Um, I got to spend time with my two granddaughters who are in St. Louis. And 
I understood from uh, Andrew that he said, you know, Junia has learned the Lord's Prayer. And I said, well, how did she learn the Lord's Prayer? He said, we didn't teach it to her. She's in worship every Sunday and, and sits in worship. And after doing that, this three-and-a-half-year-old has memorized the Lord's Prayer by herself. And so I, being a inquisitive, somewhat doubting grandparent, I said, I asked you, uh, Junia, if she would say it, and she said, I will if you help me start. So here we go. Do it. Yes, ready. Our Father, and on in heaven, I'll be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, if earth is in heaven. We say, a day bless, and forget our debt. Forget our debtors. Not into temptation and never us from evil. And I'm here and power of both of us. Amen. Amen. There you go. Yeah, these are the buttons that are popped. Anyway, as wonderful as that was, and as special as that was, what will be more wonderful is the day that she actually will know what she is saying. Right now, those are just words. And, but one day, when she understands those words, will be even a better day than this. But as I was thinking about that, how many of us have a tendency to kind of pray that way. We have words and have we bought into those words? Do we understand those words? Do we know the ingredients of what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples? Now I went to uh, Kroger and uh, went down the cake aisle and there are cakes um, that are just stacked there. And then there's the cakes that people go after. And uh, one of those is a Funfetti cake. Funfetti. Now, do you know how many ingredients it takes to have a Funfetti cake? It takes 46 plus by my count. And what I mean by that is I can count 46... But the last part says, may contain egg ingredients. Now, may contain. How does that work? Egg ingredients. What is an egg ingredient? But the idea is, if you take away one or two of these ingredients, it will no longer be funfetti, it will just be fetty. It won't be what it was designed to be if the ingredients aren't all there. So my question is, was Jesus giving us the words or was Jesus giving us the ingredients that make makes prayer 
be what he intended it to be. Now, if I were to talk about all the ingredients that Jesus would put into prayers, we'd be here for a long, long time. But are there specific ingredients that would help us move prayer from where it is to a, a greater priority? To make a, 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 difference, a different difference in our lives. Well, let's see what Jesus does. The first thing he does is he tells his disciples that he shows them that prayer starts with an intimate relationship with God. And so I would say, do you believe you and I have, an, or an I, do I have an intimate relationship with God? And our first response would go, well, of course we do. But then if you would think about, you know, how often do you spend time with God? And in those times called prayer, what is that relationship like? For some in here, it, it'll feel like a genie in a bottle. That you're gonna, you've got a need, and you, you, you kind of rub the bottle, so you, you, you kind of do what you can to get God to come out and to answer your wish. That's not a very personal relationship with God. Some of us, because we have needs, God is more like a giant Coke machine, where God, look, I put in the right amount of stuff. I have paid my dues. I suffered through Jerry's sermon on prayer. Certainly, you can answer and help me in this situation. And, and God becomes a giant dispensing machine because we've earned his response. Or is he personal? Jesus invited them into a childlike relationship with God. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, even the word our Father would have been radical for the day. You see, Israel, Jewish folks, saw themselves as children of God, but they would never dare call him father. In fact, the religious leaders got on Jesus for having such this intimate relationship, appearing to have this intimate relationship with God. And, and people in the Middle East, Muslims, this is the one place where they stub their toe on Christianity. Because for a Muslim... It's a master-slave relationship. But Jesus said, no. No, it's a child-parent relationship. Well, let me give you a little test. Across cultures, what is the first word, most often first word, across cultures that children will say. How many would vote no? <laughs> How many would vote mine? 
Mine? Mine? How about mama? Mama? How about dada? Well, according to the studies that, that I researched this week, they found over 900 babies from English, Cantonese, Mandarin-speaking homes, the most, the first name, uh, word that children were used is dada. And it stunned them because it's more difficult to say dada than mama. So why, they tried to wrestle with, why does dada come first? And the research would say that dada is the first person who is seen as separate from the child because of the mother's intimate nature with the child that the child doesn't disassociate. They associate themselves as one person that it's dada, even though it's harder to say that first other. And, and I love that thought. Now, you know, God is not male or female. There are ways in the Old Testament God loves us like the, a mother hen and, and uses the word helpmate, the same as Eve. But there's something about recognizing someone other than ourselves, a father, a dada. Our father, he says, who art in heaven. Now, how many of you have your Greek Bibles here? Yeah, me either. But if you did, if you look, that heaven is plural. It's our Father who art in the heavens. And what is that? that back then, the mindset where there were basically three heavens. There's the heaven on earth, that the heavens, the, the space on earth, the space above us that we see in the clouds in the sky. And then there's a third heaven, which is out there beyond that. And Jesus is saying, our father, our dada, this personal relationship we have, not mine, but ours, dada, who are everywhere, who are all present, hallowed, be thy name. Now, if you look in your Bible, very rarely, it's in the very modern translations, everybody says hallowed. Some of the most modern say holy because it's the closest it comes to hallowed. Hallowed is a sense of, of the holy and more than we can ever comprehend. Hallowed, honor, holiness, be your name. Now, when we pray that, are we praying more holiness on God's name than was there before? No, because God is holy, holy, holy. There's no more holy than you can get for God. So what is it when we say holy? It's not only addressing the holiness, the otherness, the awesomeness of God, but it's also praying that his holiness would be known everywhere. That we would know the depth of his holiness. We're not giving him more holy. 
we're exploring the depth of his holiness. Now, to do that, we need the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul was trying to teach the Ephesians about prayer. And he expands what it means to have this holy other God that needs to be known. And I'm going to take us to the, his letter, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 15. Here's what Paul writes. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, here's his prayer. Here's the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church. Here's the prayer of the Apostle Paul for you and me. And the unique thing, he gets so excited about his prayer. This is the longest sentence in the Bible. It's like a little kid going, and then, and then, and then. Here's what he wants you to know. Here's how it starts. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, so he includes Jesus, the Father of glory, which is his weightiness, the Father of all there is, may give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's his prayer. That's how it starts. Now, what's different about this prayer is Paul's writing to the first century church. He's writing to a church in a culture that's hostile to Christianity. These folks have got difficult lives. They're losing their homes. They're being put in jail. They're losing their businesses. They're being beaten because of the gospel. But notice his prayer for them. He doesn't pray that God would protect them. And even though they're poor and sick, he doesn't pray for healing or financial stability. And some of them are sad and hurt. He doesn't pray for their happiness. He prays that they would know God. That they would be fully acquainted with God. That's the priority. That's what Paul finds so urgent. You see, we're driven to prayer much of the time because of needs. Paul was driven to God because he knew his greatness. We want God to fix things so that life becomes easier. Paul was overwhelmed by the glory of God. That alone might change the way that we pray. Because much of the time, it's our hands out for something to be fixed, something we want. And Paul's saying, if you knew God, if you knew your heavenly father, Jesus said, you just would come into his presence and you would bask in his presence. 
But there's so much more. He goes on in the prayer. I pray, he says, that the Spirit would give you a wisdom, a, a wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him. And he goes on, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now notice he doesn't say having your mind enlightened so you would know things about him. No, having your heart enlightened that you would love this one you call your heavenly father. That your heart, and back then, the heart was the seat of wisdom and and emotions that you would just fall in love with who God is. And the hope that he has called you to. Now, I, I will remind you, Hope in the New Testament, in the Bible, is not a wish, but a promise that you would know God and the promises that he has made for you, what you can count on. Because of Jesus Christ, you count on eternity. This is just a stopping point. I love the way C.S. Lewis says, this is just the first page in a great novel. When we close our eyes in this world, we get to live the story of all the promises of God. He says, I want you to know him. I want you to know the hope, the promises that, that, that are yours right now for the taking. And he goes on, and I want you to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, I'll bet if you and I read this 100 times, 99 times, we would read this and that we, we are the riches of his glorious, of the glorious inheritance. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? And we think, well, his inheritance one day, we're going to own everything that he owns. But that's not what he says. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? You, God owns everything. He's not inheriting anything but you. You are the prize inheritance. He, Paul says, you know the hope of what he's called you to, his promises, that you are his heritage. You're not, you're not an addition to God's plan. You are God's plan. When God looks forward to eternity, he looks forward to you. Might that be someone that you and I would want to have a conversation with? Someone who can't wait for eternity for the inheritance in the saints? But there's more, Paul says. And his power. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's available to you. Resurrection power. The power to take broken things, dead things, and bring them to life. In prayer, we move into, plug into that power. But I always stop there. But look how it goes on. Not only the power of the resurrection, 
but the power that comes with him seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. He put all things under his feet. God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over things, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, not only in prayer do we plug into resurrection power, we plug into reigning power above every principle, every authority, any power that is. The power of Jesus, the power of the Godhead is greater. Might that change the way we pray? Let me just unpack that for you one more little place. In the book of Revelation, it says this, <clears throat> 19, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of, of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now I want to take you back to one scene here. Next slide. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Now, that's Jesus. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. If you were to unpack that picture, what makes Jesus different than the, all the others that are with him in the army? He is dipped in blood. He is the only one who does the battle. He is the only one who does the fighting. He is that powerful. The armies stay in white. He enters the battle. The battle is the Lord's. No matter what you are facing, the battle is the Lord's. Now, we have a group that's working on um, helping us to take these steps being more like God would have us be. And, and one of the things we said, what's the most important thing we need to be doing about the right now 
to, to prepare people to be who God has designed them to be. And around the table, it was, we need to be people of prayer. So do you know what the Sunday school classes are going to do starting off August the 15th? From August the 15th to Christmas to the Advent season, they're going to do prayer in Sunday school. Do you know what we're preaching on from January to Easter? Prayer. We're going to make prayer a priority, not the vending machine kind of to get put the tokens in, but the kind of prayer that would first start with knowing who God is, the power that's available to us, the hope and the promises that he gives, and the fact that we are his inheritance. Now, how are we going to get people to do that? We had a great strategy a couple months ago we were going to spend 20 minutes a day to be one with him. How's that working for you? Me too. So, how can we pray? I think we need to pray like we breathe. And, and one of those ways, we're going to take the word pray... We're going to do what we did with simple. And, and I'm going to ask you sometime during the day, and I'd love to be at first thing in the morning, last thing at night. I'd like to be both. Or when you pray, I want you to go through four simple steps, like breathing. I want you to first to pause. That's the thing we don't really do. We pray, but we, we don't pause first and enter his presence. And then I want us to reflect on who God is with taking in like a breath our knowledge. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one who fights the battle. He is the one who reigns in power over all authority. Like take that in. And then as we breathe out, I want us to ask, Oh, Lord, I'm struggling here. Would you help here? Could you do this? And then I want us, as we breathe out, to yield and let him take it. That means we open our hands and we let go because the one who has the power and the promise and the presence we're going to let him take it. So it's pause, reflect by bringing in who we're coming before, letting out those things that weigh us down, and then with open hands, yield to him. And let's see what he does. You think about that. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so busy, at least in our minds and on our calendars. Help us to pause. Help us to study and know you and take in the power and who you are and then to let those things go and yield ourselves to you. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, I pray that they would begin to 
open their eyes to the power of the Holy Spirit to know you and they would trust you with their lives and you would begin this process of taking them into your throne room and allowing them to see you and then allowing them to let go and trust you. And Father, we come to this table and we pause. We take a moment And we look at some simple elements and we take them into our bodies. A piece of bread and a cup of juice. We take in your presence symbolically through these elements. And so we can let everything go and leave our hands open to do what you would have us do. Meet us in this meal. Give us a sense of pause, your presence and power as we reflect on you. For the night that he was betrayed, he took an ordinary piece of bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He also acquainted himself with the manna that came down from the desert and fed the people of God. This is my body, he said, and he broke it. And he said, eat this, and when you eat it, do it in memory of me. And as you open those cups, I want you to know this is a community event. I want you to turn to those around you and remind them that the body of blood, the body of Christ was broken for them. And then I want to remind you the words that Jesus gave so that you can tell the person next to you, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. For the forgiveness of all of your sins, when you do this, do this in memory of me. And the Bible tells us as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and his resurrection. But we proclaim more than that. We proclaim his ascension, that he reigns in heaven. And all the power and authority is in him. That can be entrusted and given to us as we come close to him, as we pray and yield to him. Lord, may this meal remind us of who you are and whose we are. May it remind us of your promises because you gave your life that we would have life. May it remind us that we're your children and we are your inheritance. And you can't wait to have us home. May it remind us of the power, not only the resurrection, but the power of reigning authority over everything. Thank you for this morning and thank you for the vehicle of prayer. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You are dearly loved. His wounds have paid your ransom. And now you and I are invited in to the throne room of God to reflect and know who he is. To take that in. To let go of those things that weigh us down and to yield ourselves to him. As you do that, go in peace to love and serve him. And may you find yourself more and more 
in his powerful presence day after day. Go in peace to love and serve him. Amen.